Good evening, good evening, good evening. It's 6 o'clock, and yo, I'm in a beautiful new studio. The headquarters of the Progressive Radio Network. This is the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. Glad you are with us on this Wednesday evening. Lots to talk about, and uh, lots to get me, like, really, really, really upset because, you know, you say stuff, and then a couple, three weeks, four weeks later, you feel like you have to say it again because it's a broken, stinking record. And I'm talking specifically uh, about law enforcement and black people. And, you know, it's not to, you know, uh, push out anybody else, white people, Latinos, Asians, whatever. But it seems as though black people end up in some really, really dangerous and in some cases fatal situations over triggered over trivial nonsense and i mean trivial trivial nonsense so uh we're going to get to that in a minute um i also want to open our phones and and first of all to thank the people i put a, a question up or ask people what they wanted to talk about on facebook got uh, a number of responses so i want to thank everybody who responded we're going to get to as many of those requests as we can Reminds me of the old days when they used to, you know, a, a disc jockey would say, well, what do you want to hear? <laughs> and then if they could find it, they might play it. Well, we're going to talk about some of the things that you have said you wanted to talk about. My good friend Jason Taubenfeld is here in the house and has been holding it down for sure. We start out with a story from Westchester County. And it's significant because of some of the other stories that we're going to discuss. Officials in Mount Vernon are investigating the death of a woman who waited two days in a holding cell for arraignment on a shoplifting arrest. For those of you who don't know, Mount Vernon is a suburb just outside New York City. As a matter of fact, it borders the Bronx. Uh, I don't understand this. I really, really don't understand this. Uh, the mayor of Mount Vernon is a black man, Ernest Davis. He said the woman who was Raynette Turner was found dead Monday afternoon. She was arrested Saturday <coughs> excuse me, at a wholesale food store and was being held for an arraignment. They said that on Sunday night, she reported she wasn't feeling well. She was taken by ambulance to a hospital, then returned to her cell a few hours later. She was found dead at 2 p.m. on Monday. Now, it may well be that everybody, all the actors here acted properly. I don't know. I obviously wasn't there. There's an investigation that has begun. An autopsy is pending, so I don't want to jump out here and say, hey, the woman was murdered. I, don't, I can't say that. But what I can say is because of what happened to Sandra Bland, because of what happened, and we're going to get to this momentarily, to a gentleman by the name of Samuel Dubose, in Cincinnati, Ohio, people are starting to get suspicious. People are starting to question because they have a right to question. People have been questioning since back in the day. Anybody remember Randolph Evans? That was like 41 years ago. Anybody re remember Clifford Glover? That was 43 years ago. In both cases, cops shot and killed them. They were both kids. One was 12, Clifford Glover. One was 14, Randolph Evans. So people have been questioning, and I want to say that one of the people who never let the Randolph Evans situation go, never let it go, never let it go from the public consciousness, is my good friend, the Reverend Herbert Daughtry, who I actually had, had the pleasure of running into a few weeks back at a restaurant in downtown Brooklyn, down the street from the historic House of the Lord Church. Well, Reverend Daughtry carried that flame and was saying in the 1970s that something had to change in the relationship between the black community and the police because those two young lives still resonate in my mind because I was just starting out in radio when they died. And now we have this young woman, 
Raynette Turner, she was 42. And, you know, there's some fundamental questions that ought to be asked here. Okay, so she got busted on Saturday. Did she really have to stay in a holding cell pending arraignment for shoplifting? It seems like one of those trivial offenses. I mean, look, nobody wants to encourage shoplifting, but it sounds like one of those offenses where people end up dead, injured, whatever. You can run down the list. Sandra Bland. Failure to signal a lane change, for God's sake. Samuel Dubose. He was originally stopped because he didn't have a front license plate. Eric Garner, selling Lucy's. Trivial, trivial stuff. But trivial stuff is getting people killed. And there's no excuse for it. And again, I feel like a broken record because I feel like I'm saying the same thing every week because there's another dead black person killed at the hands of law enforcement that we have to deal with. Now, I know what some people are going to say. I know what some of my friends are going to say behind what I guess they might consider to be a diatribe. Yeah, well, people in the black community end up You know, killing black people, nobody says anything. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. I've talked about it. Many activists in the community have talked about it. Organizations have been formed to combat it. But if all you do is consume media, quote, mainstream, I hate that. Jason, you know I hate that term, mainstream media? makes me want to puke, to be, God, to be brutally honest. It makes me sick. Because if you follow mainstream media, you're not going to know about any of this. You're not going to know about the organization in Brooklyn that was specifically formed to fight violence in East New York. What some people call black-on-black crime, 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 crime. And it's a convenient shibboleth to say in response to law enforcement killing otherwise innocent unarmed black people well black people kill black people yeah we know that white people kill white people too you know it happens and that's not to trivialize that loss of life we have to work at a couple of weeks ago i talked about the fact that guns that killed three law enforcement people, including two in New York City and one in Nebraska, all came from the same gun shop, for God's sake. Anybody think they've done anything about that gun shop since then? Probably not. That's ridiculous. It's obscene. It is absolutely obscene. Equally obscene is... A story with the headline, Texas authorities release more jailhouse video relating to Sandra Bland case. Now, ask yourself this. Why do you think they're doing this? Officials in Waller County, Texas, have released more jailhouse video that they say dispels some of the conspiracy theories surrounding the case of Sandra Bland. Excuse me. For those of you who don't know, Sandra Bland was found hanged in her cell two weeks ago. What was she in a cell for? Failure to change a signal when changing lanes. And by the way, she was changing lanes (coughs) to get out of the way so a police officer could pass. That police officer then pulled her over, and many of you have seen what was in the video. Her death was ruled a suicide by the medical examiner. Her family says she wasn't suicidal. So they keep putting out more and more and more video in an effort to try and bolster the notion that Sandra Bland killed herself. But as they do so, and as they try to spin this, you got to ask yourself the following question. 
Would Sandra Bland have even been in a position to commit suicide were she not in a cell over nonsense? Nonsense. Failure to signal when changing lanes? That's the kind of stuff country cops do, you know, when they want to nail somebody and get a fine out of somebody. That's what they do. Failure to come to a full stop at a stop sign. Judgment calls. And any of you who have ever been or grown up in or lived in certain communities across this country, and they're not all communities where this happens to black people, I might add, then you know that this stuff happens. But for these people to put out more and more and more stuff to bolster a law enforcement case, see, because to me, it's like she was in the custody of the state of Texas. How come the state of Texas couldn't keep her safe? How come the state of Texas couldn't have prevented her from committing suicide if that's what they say she did? And why? Why was she not given a simple summons as opposed to being handcuffed and brought to a jail cell over failure to signal a lane change? This is, ladies and gentlemen, the crux of the problem that black people face with law enforcement. Simple stops. Simple encounters between black people and the police end up with unarmed black people being dead. And then it's a toss of the coin as to whether or not the cop involved will be charged. Staten Island, Pantaleo wasn't charged. Other places, cops weren't charged. In other places, like Baltimore and uh, North Charleston, South Carolina, And now in Cincinnati, yes, the cops were, in fact, charged. And that's a good thing. Let justice prevail. I still think, but remember, too, that in Ferguson, Missouri, cop wasn't charged either. Wilson. You see, the list goes on and on and on. And as we move from Sandra Bland and we take a look at what happened to Samuel Dubose, The Hamilton County prosecutor out in Cincinnati says, quote, this was the purposeful killing of another person. I'm treating him like a murderer. And they ain't talking about Samuel Dubose. They are talking about the cop that was involved here. And by the way, his name was Ray Tensing. Uh, He was a University of Cincinnati cop, not a regular Cincinnati cop, a university. Hey, Jason, do do they let college cops run around with guns? They let this guy run around with a gun. This guy put a bullet in this man's head, a bullet. And what was, and by the way, uh, Joseph Dieters, who's the Hamilton County prosecutor, said, quote, I have been doing this. For 30 years, this is the most asinine act I have ever seen a police officer make. Now, he says that because Ray Tensing's body cam recorded the whole thing, including the shooting. Including the shooting. Now, the uh, prosecutor also released the result of the grand jury's investigation, unlike New York. If convicted, by the way, Ray Tenson could receive life in prison. They say that there's no evidence race was an issue. But see, you talk to law enforcement or prosecutors or whomever, and race is never an issue. Never, never, ever, ever when it comes to law enforcement killing unarmed black people. Now, the University of Cincinnati canceled classes. Because, you know, they they may be a little nervous about Cincinnati turning into another Ferguson or another Baltimore, you see. Um, And it, it, it boggles the mind, this situation. 
Samuel Dubos was killed during a traffic stop. Sound familiar? A traffic stop on July 19th near the University of Cincinnati's campus. He was stopped because his car did not have a license plate in the front. According to the Hamilton County prosecutor, not according to me, according to the Hamilton County prosecutor, the officer, quote, wasn't dealing with someone who was wanted for murder, unquote. He was dealing with someone without a front license plate. Apparently, Dubos, apparently or allegedly, refused to provide a driver's license, produced an open alcohol bottle, and a struggle ensued. Why, the cop have to beat somebody up? Or, or are they alleging that Dubos went crazy and decided to fight an armed individual? Now, they say tensing was knocked to the ground. According to UC Police Department Chief Jason Goodrich, the officer fired one shot into Dubose's head. The Hamilton County Prosecutor Dieters says the shooting was a chicken crap stop. And he says, I could have used harsher words than that. You see, folks, this continues. This seems to continue unabated. It seems as though some folk feel like in any kind of a confrontation with a black person, and in, in all of these cases, we're talking about black people that were not armed, it's okay to use deadly force, according to law enforcement whether it's this guy or Pantaleo putting Eric Garner in a chokehold or Darren Wilson, uh, Darren Wilson, excuse me, filling Michael Brown with lead or the cops that were supervising Freddie Gray in Baltimore and somehow broke his spine. It goes on and on and on and on. And... You know, the, the outbreaks that have taken place in Ferguson, in Baltimore, and other that's a symptom of what could be a national malady. Because if this crap keeps up, and if people don't think there's any justice that surrounds the taking of a black life by law enforcement, and remember, you know, the difference between, quote, black-on-black crime, unquote, and law enforcement people killing black people is that law enforcement is supposed to protect black people and white people and Latinos and Asians and Native Americans and Pacific Islanders. Law enforcement's job is to uphold the law and protect the public from lawbreakers. It's their job. Now, how it ends up with so many black lives lost, given that mission, is something that is above my pay grade to answer, quite frankly. And and please don't don't get it twisted. I am not, repeat, am not advocating violence as a means to make change in this situation. And uh, you know, you're gonna say you're gonna have people that say well, nonviolence ain't work. Yeah, but violence hasn't really worked that well either. Although some people might say in Ferguson, the violence produced an interim police chief who happens to be black. But I don't, I don't necessarily equate that. I really don't. What happened in Ferguson scared the bejesus out of law-abiding black people. It really did. And it's something that we ought to consider. I don't know what's going to happen in Cincinnati. Maybe there won't be any violence at all. I hope not. But understand that this status quo cannot repeat, cannot be allowed to continue. It's 19 minutes past the hour of 6 o'clock. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff. I've been ranting and raving for a minute now. There's a lot of other stuff going on in the world. Remember the name Mullah Omar? You remember him? The Taliban leader 
Well, guess what? He's been dead since 2013. Surprise, surprise, surprise. This announcement came two days before negotiators claiming to represent the Taliban leadership are scheduled to sit down and talk peace with the Afghan government. Oh, they have one? Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, there's something about the Afghan government that gives me pause. Now, I, you know, the Taliban really, really gives me pause. But the spokesman for the Afghan, uh, quote, spy agency, the National Directorate of Security, in a phone interview, his name was Abdul Hasib Siddiqui, he said, quote, there's no doubt we confirm he is dead. He died in April 2013, two years back in Karachi. We have confirmed it and erased all our doubts. By the way, is it Karachi in, like, Pakistan? I think. Hey, Jason, is it Karachi in Pakistan? I don't know. I think it is. Uh, ain't in Afghanistan. <laughs> I'm almost sure it's not in Afghanistan. Uh... But, you know, the Afghans claim Mullah Omar was dead in 2011. It was, It is Pakistan. I thought so. Uh, they had to back off of those claims in 2011. And a, another spokesman for the Taliban, whose name I'm not even going to bother to try and pronounce here, said that the new death claims were also false. Now, these reports have cast a shadow over these current peace talks, which started July 7th. Uh, why is it that these people, the, the Afghan government and the Taliban representatives met at a resort near Islamabad, Pakistan? A resort? How come, like, they can't meet in a conference room like normal people? I'm sorry, maybe I'm nitpicking. But it seems to me that people that run around, you know, in the case of the Taliban, allegedly overtly oppressing and acting completely violent toward women don't deserve to be meeting in a stinking resort. I I don't know how much the United States facilitated this. And it looks as though not all the Taliban are on board with these peace talks, which leads me to question, why are people so adverse to making peace. People can make war on this planet at the drop of a stinking hat. Make peace? No, no. No, sorry, we can't do that unless certain conditions are met. Now, a senior Afghan government official said Mullah Omar's death could be good news for the peace process. Wait a minute. You know, something just dawned on me. Didn't they kill Osama bin Laden in Pakistan? I think they did. And now apparently Mullah Omar died in Pakistan. And these peace talks are taking place at a resort near Islamabad, Pakistan. Now I can understand maybe the, maybe the Taliban, you know, maybe they make nice with the Afghan with the uh, uh, with the Pakistan government. I don't know. But I find it fascinating that, you know, th- this is supposed to be a situation where they're dealing with the Afghan government, but everything seems to be happening in Pakistan. Now, uh, there's a report that he died like a natural death, like he didn't get killed by an American drone or any of the rest of this. Uh, This guy, Siddiqui, said that he died in a Karachi hospital. Didn't say which hospital or what he died of or how the agency knew he was dead. Also had no information on where he was buried. Uh, another Afghan spy agency official said that uh, Mullah Omar had been sick at the time of his death. See, it's like, uh, for me, it's like, okay, you know, Mullah Omar, who, who, by the way, was reclusive before all this, but Mullah Omar was representative of a particular strain of the Taliban, uh, a particular group of the Taliban. Now, we can talk until tomorrow afternoon, nonstop, 
about America's role in facilitating the creation of the Taliban and ISIS and many other of the groups we now label as terrorists. And, by the way, Saddam Hussein, for God's sake. But for the purposes of this discussion, we ought to be asking ourselves, first of all, what does all this mean to us? Because I'm not really sure. I don't know. I'm no seer. I'm no keeper of the Holy Grail. I'm no oracle. I don't think it means the end of the Taliban as we now know it, especially if the guy's been dead for two years. You know, and by the way, you know, the the, uh, the Taliban and ISIS don't exactly get along real well. So it's something to follow. It is definitely something to follow. All right, now it's almost 6.30. I don't want, Jason, I do not want to do this. I don't want to do this. But I got to do it anyway. There's an article in today's New York Times, under oath, Donald Trump shows his raw side. <laughs> Jason saying, please don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say what, what I think of him, but that's a whole other thing. I said last week during the broadcast, I don't really think he has any interest in being president of the United States. I, I really don't. I don't believe he wants to be president. He wants to continue being Donald Trump. He wants to continue being the guy who the minute he thinks about opening his mouth, everybody stops what they're doing and says, what is he going to say? And running a presidential campaign, which he can afford to do, even if he exaggerates how much money he has, he can afford to run a presidential campaign and and pay people relatively well, by the way, including those people that came to his announcement. (laughs) All of them, Trump, 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 where's my check? Uh, the thing is, I, 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 nothing has happened in the past week that has led me to believe that he's serious about running for president. And, I mean, this, uh, this particular article where a lawyer who was deposing him in a lawsuit over a failed Florida real estate project, uh, first of all, he told her her questions were very stupid. And when she asked for a medical break, Trump and his lawyer objected, uh, demanding that the deposition continue. She said, this lawyer, that it was urgent because she needed to pump breast milk for her three-month-old daughter, and she took the pump out to make her point. Donald Trump said, you're disgusting. And then he walked out of the room and ended testimony for the day. Now, That speaks volumes about who Donald Trump is as far as I'm concerned, okay? The woman did not whip out her breast and start pumping milk. That's not what she did. All she did was pull out a breast pump, which is, uh, last I checked, Donald Trump, a machine. What's disgusting about her, her pulling out a machine and saying she needs to pump breast milk for her kid? That's, like, bizarre. Absolutely bizarre uh apparently you know people have uh, gone back and started digging into some of his depositions from the multitude of lawsuits he's had to deal with and it says this is time saying it not me it showcases trump's fixation with his image as a financial success and lays bare his hypersensitivity to any suggestion of failure See, and and this is the part that's important because, Jason, this is what I said last week. It's about his brand. And here's the New York Times. It chronicles his methodical cultivation and elbows out defense of a brand name he has licensed around the world for millions of dollars in fees. And it at times displays a lack of sympathy for ordinary consumers who have lost money on the purchase of Trump-branded products. Yo, if you're dumb enough to buy something with Donald Trump's name on it, shame on you. I mean, I don't want to see you lose money or nothing. But this is who he is. This is who he is. Uh, You know, uh, and when somebody loses money, like with this deposition, Florida Real Estate Project, 
He said they were lucky that they forfeited their down payments because they would have lost more had the project proceeded. (laughs) Uh, This is the guy who's leading in the Republican polls. Not finishing second, third, or tenth. And remember, there's 16 people who have announced so far. More on that in a minute, okay, because I've said this many times before in the past, but I haven't said it here on PRN, so I'm going to say it again after the break because it's 6.30. Is it 6.30? Yeah, it's 6.30. So we're going to take a very quick break. I'm going to stop talking about Donald Trump because he makes me want to heave, and I haven't eaten anything all day. But when we come back, I want to talk about the Republican presidential debates. By the way, if you want to call, can they call, Jason? They can call, right? 888-874-4888. Now, it's taken me (laughs) the better part of a year to memorize that phone number. I used to be like a machine when it came to memorizing phone numbers, right? Well, here's the number, party people. 888-874-4888. We'll be right back with more of the Mark Riley Show. We're back. It's two, uh, 6.32, 28 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. It's the Mark Riley Show. I am he. And uh, I can't talk anymore about Donald Trump. He's just a low life as far as I'm concerned. And anybody, and I know a couple of people who've lived in some of his, what is it, Trump Tower or Trump something? Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, I've never been able to figure out what the attraction was. Why would anybody want to live in anything? With his name. Now, I saw him on a, a I'm not, I promise I'm not going to go too deep into this, Jason. I swear to God. But I saw him on this show. Uh, I guess they were talking about, you know, almost like a quasi lifestyles that are rich and famous. And he was talking, I think it was about his jet. He said, I want everything to be perfect. And he had some guy scrubbing the brass on the side of this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, are you sure you recognize perfect? If it hits you upside your head. But anyway, I wouldn't want to mess up his comb over. Uh, Here's a story that really kind of gets my goat. And I don't want to make this personal, uh, you know, that I'm only going to talk about stuff that makes me mad, although I have for the first half hour or so. Oh, and by the way, if you want to text me, you can do so at 917-830-3023. 917-830-3023. Through the magic of technology, don't ask me how, if you text that, if you call that number, you can actually text something to me, and I will see it in my text messages. That's according to my lovely wife, who knows all there is to know about this sort of thing. Anyway, headline, Fox allows all candidates, no matter polling, into lower-tier GOP debate. Lower-tier? What the deuce is a lower-tier debate? Now, this is a forum for the lower polling candidates, and it'll air before the main debate. You know, like this is kind of like the GOP's WrestleMania or something. That takes place on August 6th, which isn't really that far away. The network had previously said candidates had to poll at least 1% in an average of five recent national polls. Now... That polling barrier has been removed, according to the Foxies. Quote, due to the overwhelming interest 
in the Fox News Facebook debate event night on August 6th, and in a concerted effort to include and accommodate the now 16 Republican candidate field, the largest in modern political history, Fox News is expanding participation in the 5 p.m. Eastern Time debate to all declared candidates whose names are consistently being offered to respondents in major national polls as recognized by, guess who, Fox News. What this means is three contenders who might have been out otherwise, former Governor George Pataki, Senator Lindsey Graham, and former Hewlett-Packard Chief Executive Carly Fiorina, they would have been out, now they're in. But see, Jason, here's my problem. I just don't like the idea of polling, putting people in an upper or a lower tier. Okay? And by the way, this is like July, or actually it'll be August 2015. You know, the primaries will be over the middle of next year sometime. And still, now, I understand. 16 candidates, you can't put them all on one stage. They'd never get a word in edgewise. Donald Trump would take up all the time. But that's not my point. I have a problem with poll-driven, uh, I, I'm, I'm a, the word I was going to use is escaping me, but uh, this kind of poll-driven decision about who counts and who doesn't. How about that? That's close as I can come. Uh, why do they have to do it this way? Why are polls... And, of course, Fox News is determining, they just said so themselves, major national polls as recognized by Fox News. See, let me tell you what would be a fair way to do this. And I'm no Republican, so I don't really care one way or the other what they do. But a fair way to do this would have been to take all 16 names, put them in a hat, Shake up the hat or put them in a, one of those things they do for the draft or one, yeah, well, something. Or they, 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 they do at carnivals. And you pull eight out first, or if you wanted to, pull four out first, then pull a second four, a third four, and a fourth four. All right? And that would be done absolutely without regard to how anybody's polling. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you. Deciding who counts and who doesn't by polls this far out disgusts me. It is disgusting. First of all, because it gives, in my judgment, an unwarranted power to the polling organization. And and I'm not saying they're bad people. That's not the point. They ain't supposed to be deciding who gets into a debate, but they do all the time. Well, you only got 5% in the poll. They froze a bunch of people out of, of uh, debates on account of national polls. And that sucks. That absolutely freaking sucks. And something ought to be done about it. You can't really do that much about it, you know, because uh, Fox News is a network. You can't exactly pull their license to operate. But they ought to do better. Let's say for the sake of argument, because they are putting the top 10 people in the main event debate. That's a lot of people, but that's what they've chosen to do. Well, if they're going to put 10 and 6, they could just as easily do 8 and 8. And without regard to poll, why shouldn't George Pataki, and I don't agree with him about what time of day it is, but why shouldn't he have the same access? See, by calling one group of candidates a lower tier, you ensure that they will be a lower tier unless something drastic happens. And that sucks. Why should polling determine who is a lower tier? It's just, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, you know, they're going to do what they want anyway. Uh, I just think it stinks. I just think they, they could do it better. They could do it in such a way that people would not be slotting candidates in this way. The top 10, they matter. The lower tier, not so much.
But I, I, I'll tell you what, none of those six lower tier candidates are going to utter a stinking word about this. <laughs> They're just glad for the airtime. <laughs> they are. And of course, the man who's gladdest for the airtime is Donald Trump, because that's what he lives for. That's what he's running for. Free airtime. But that's another discussion. I've already had it last week and don't want to revisit it today. What I do want to visit is the death of Cecil the Lion. Now, a lot of people may not, you know, this may not get them going, the death of Cecil the Lion. At first, it didn't get me going. But you see, this whole notion of big game hunting, to me, and it's just me. I mean, I know people that love to go out and shoot things, shoot living things. It's what they do. But to me, there's something inhumane about doing it. There's something off-putting about people who would pay, in this case, 50 Gs to go out and shoot a lion. Unfortunately for this guy that did it, he's a dentist from Minnesota. Unfortunately for him, Walter James Palmer, Cecil was a famous lion from Zimbabwe. He was in a park. Conservation officials say that Palmer paid two local people who have, by the way, been arrested and charged in Zimbabwe to lure the lion out of a national park and then... They killed him. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and by the way, you know, Cecil was famous. All the other animals that get killed, some of them get killed with bow and arrows, some of them get killed with high-powered rifles or whatever. The other ones that ain't famous, I don't think should die either. That's just me. I, I you know... It, you can make a case for killing for food, all right? You can. And don't let the vegans fool you. Uh, the vegetables that they harvest, you're killing plants for food, all right? I've, I've never kind of seen that distinction. But these people aren't killing for Ain't nobody eating no Cecil the Lion. They're not. They do this for sport. For sport, I can see shooting like, you know, when they have those, what do they call it, skeet shooting or whatever, where you pull the thing and thing flies through the air and you blow it to bits. That's cool. Ain't nobody dying then. No animal has to be sacrificed. And by the way, Trump's kid apparently is a big game hunter on top of everything else. Both kids. Should have sent them to military school like he did. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, they're big game hunters. Teddy Roosevelt was a big game hunter. What do you get out of that? I don't understand. What the deuce do you get? And see, half the time, they don't end up killing lions now. They'll kill antelope, impala, animals that are utterly defenseless. Then they'll skin them and... You know, take pictures with their hides. What does that make you a man or something? Or a woman, because there are women that do the same thing. Does that make you much man? <laughs> Get out of here. It's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. And, you know, uh, uh, this guy Palmer's house and his dental practice apparently are coming in for some stick from local residents. Uh, Palmer said... I had no idea that the lion I took, if that's what you call it, was a known local favorite. And, uh, you know, see, the thing about big game hunting, first of all, you can't do it on the cheap. You got to have money. Palmer paid 50 G's, $50,000 for a 40-hour hunt before they killed Cecil the Lion. Lion was skinned and beheaded outside the park. And he thinks, Palmer, said that he hired professional guides who had gotten the proper permits. So he thought it was okay for these guys to lure the lion 
off the parkland where obviously he would have been protected. Uh, it's poaching, man. It's poaching. And, I mean, it, 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 it's even more, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ugly. And big game hunting, as a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, all hunting that's not for food, and we don't do that much of it anymore, all right? We don't go out here hunting, you know, hunting rabbit <laughs> or, or hunting whatever, moose. I know some 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 uh, Native American people out in South Dakota. They actually do still hunt. You know, they'll they'll shoot a deer, but they'll use the 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 meat for venison. You know, it's venison. They cook it and they eat it. I wouldn't eat it, but they eat it. That's cool. And you know, the, the folks out there are poor, man. You know, if they could shoot, uh, they they don't really go around shooting buffalo anymore because you know there, there've been some problems with that through the years like the virtual extinction of buffalo. But they would shoot a deer or they'd shoot another animal if, if they could use the meat. But this, psh, forget about it. All right, Jason, I don't know how I'm going to make this transition, but bear with me if you would. And now to the world of sports. <laughs> Only be, And, you know, I asked my wife, who's the show's spiritual advisor, whether I should even say anything about this Tom Brady mess. Because, you know, and she said, and she's right, first of all, she said, I have no interest in that whatsoever. And I said to her, well, you know, maybe there's people that have no interest whatsoever in Cecil the Lion either. (laughs) You know, there are going to be people, when you do a number of topics, there are going to be some that say, I have no interest in that whatsoever. All right, I understand. And, you know, there's a, a host of sports stations that have spent the last 24 hours, ever since the decision came down, it's more than 24 hours now, bloviating about the decision to uphold Tom Brady's four-game suspension for the whole Deflategate thing. I, You know, see, here's my problem with the whole process, all right? And, and this really isn't just about sports. It's about life, okay? Jason, imagine if you were accused of murdering somebody, okay? I I know you wouldn't, but imagine you were accused, all right? You go to trial in front of a judge and a jury, and the judge is seemingly, he's one of those guys that, that routinely imposes the death penalty, right? So you get convicted. This judge because this is not one of those states where there's a jury that decides your fate. The judge sentences you to die. And your lawyer says, okay, well, I'm going to appeal. And guess who hears the appeal? (laughs) The same judge that sentenced you to die. That's essentially what happened with Tom Brady. You know, they had the Ted Wells report, which, you know, purported to say, you know, the New England Patriots this and Tom Brady that. Well, who convened and who commissioned that report? Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, who, by the way, is beholden to the owners of the sports teams that comprise the NFL. Okay, so they come down with a four-game suspension. Brady and the NFL players say, okay, well, we're appealing. Well, guess who gets to hear the appeal? The same guy. The same guy who handed down the suspension in the first place. I got a problem with that. I'm sorry. You know, if I was on death row by something like that, I'd be mighty pissed. I don't know all the merits. I've been, you know, I tend to listen to sports radio periodically. And I hear people going back and forth. He he shouldn't have destroyed his phone. And uh, the New York Post has a ridiculous, had a ridiculous headline earlier that his wife was dressed up in a burqa to go to some some kind of breast procedure. I don't know what the hell that has to do with Tom Brady or the suspension, but, you know, that's the New York Post. They can, they, they, they keep Andrea Pizer on the payroll, so you know they're crazy anyway. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I just find the procedure to be a little, how best to put this, problematical, <laughs> all right? I just, I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm just not uh, feeling that he got a fair dispensation of this situation. 
He's come out and said, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong, and neither did anybody with the New England Patriots. They do have, apparently, some sort of uh, material, whether it's text, email, Facebook, carrier pigeon, whatever, that says Tom Brady wanted to see to it that the footballs in question, which were used during the game with the Indianapolis Colts, with the Patri- which the Patriots ended up winning either 40 or 45 to 7, for God's sake, but that he wanted them at the legal low end of the pressure. That you, you know, you know uh, footballs are supposed to be inflated to, what is it, 12.5 to 13 point something, I guess it's pounds per square inch, whatever. And Brady wanted it at the low end. They had no evidence that Tom Brady said, well, hey, man, while you're at it, (laughs) drop it down to 10. They never said that. They never were able to establish that this was something that Brady wanted. He wanted it low, but he wanted it legal. But, hey, man, the guy's a multimillionaire. And, you know, if if it was me, I'd say, yo, I'm the Super Bowl champion, MF. (laughs) Don't bother me with this. He He just doesn't want, he's 38 years old or is coming up on 38 years old, he wants to play every game he can possibly play. So my guess is he and the NFL Players Association will take this to court, which will be very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Uh, I think I may have talked about this last week, but I got to talk about it again, too. Because uh, we've had now multiple days where rail commuters from New Jersey going into New York have endured ridiculous delays and ridiculous conditions. And, of course, the politicians involved, starting with Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey, have been ducking and dodging and blaming and counter-blaming. And the real reason for a lot of these delays has to do with the tunnel that runs, it's actually two tunnels, that run from Jersey to New York, okay? Those tunnels were built in 1908, which, unless I failed math, means they're over 100 years old. And it appears as though it's going to cost $2,500 bazillion to get anything done. Now, apparently, the... uh, head of uh, the Transportation Secretary, Anthony Fox, wrote to Governor Cuomo and Governor Chris Christie about a meeting to push the project. It's called the Gateway. The Gateway project from Amtrak will cost $14 billion. The feds are only offered $3 billion so far, and whatever knobhead politicians exist in D.C., they're cutting Amtrak's funding at the same time. Now, We all, I think most of us know that Christie killed a project that would have built a tunnel. It wasn't the the smartest idea. This is in 2010. It didn't end up running under Penn Station. It would have been no platforms at Penn Station, which I I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Jason, Penn Station is the ugliest transportation hub this side of Port Authority bus terminal. (laughs) I mean, they really are. And the fact that the Port Authority has a hand in both of them, I mean, it's, after all, not the Amtrak bus terminal, uh, is reason enough to get rid of all of them. Every single stinking commissioner on the Port Authority ought to resign in disgrace when you look at the condition of these places. You walk through Port Authority during a rainstorm or a snowstorm, next thing you know, you see these huge garbage cans lined up on the second floor to catch water that's leaking from the ceiling. I mean, come on, come on. And then, you know, Long Island Railroad delays up to Wazoo. Jersey Transit delays up to Wazoo. What do they do? They take turns blaming Amtrak. See, because Long Island Railroad's run by the MTA. Everybody knows the MTA is supposed to be broke anyway, unless they find some money from somewhere, which they often do. New Jersey Transit is run by New Jersey Transit. And they, too, figure, well, hey, you know, it's Amtrak's tunnel. Let's blame them. And while the blame-a-thon continues, 
Absolutely nothing gets done. They ought to hang their heads in shame. And I say that because they get paid for this crap. Paid. (laughs) P-A-I-D-D-D. They get money. And hardworking fast food work can't get a stinking raise. Oh, actually, I, they are getting a raise. There's been a recommendation. Uh, I did want to touch on this whole migrant thing from France to England. Uh, now, my wife is British, so I have to watch what I say here. But I don't know why everybody's trying to get from France to England. You know, and they're going through the uh, the tunnel. I guess that's a better use. You know, if it was built in 1909, they might have all drowned like the one they have over here. Uh, there are conflicting numbers of people who were involved Wednesday, stampeding or, or going. And one person was actually crushed by a truck. What is a truck doing in the tunnel? Uh, and, of course, they've built all these barriers around the Euro Tunnel. And there's also been labor strife. Um, but it's also been an influx for desperate migrant workers who are coming from Calais into England. Uh, I, I don't know what uh, what exactly the problem is there. I always thought England and France kind of got along and nobody would be fighting to get from one to the other. But, hey, that's just me. We end the program this evening on a fairly sad note, sad as far as I'm concerned. Congressman Shaka Fatah. Uh, has been indicted on corruption charges. Earlier today, federal prosecutors indicted him and several top associates on a broad array of corruption charges. He's apparently been under investigation for a while, faces 29 counts, including a racketeering conspiracy, bribery, mail fraud, wire fraud, bank fraud, and more. God, that's a lot of fraud. (laughs) Okay. Uh... The Justice Department alleges, among other things, that Chaka Fatah fraudulently tried to conceal campaign debts and even tried to steer public money to pay off private debts to one of his creditors. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's in the intervening. I uh, I interviewed Chaka Fatah back when he first got elected to Congress. I always thought he was, you know, halfway cool. But there's a lot of halfway cool guys I know who have gotten in trouble over corruption, especially here in New York. Shaka Fatah's office has not yet commented, but, uh, and by the way, he's been in office for over 20 years. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, he's going to be able to elbow his way out. I mean, he wasn't indicted by Preet Bharara, you know, which would have sealed his doom (laughs) under normal circumstances. Uh, Last time he ran in Pennsylvania's 2nd Congressional District, he didn't have any serious opposition. Um. And, you know, the, the government investigation into what he was doing had already been made public, and some of his people had already been charged. But now, of course, Jason, the feeding frenzy begins. The people who would replace Shaka Fatah line up. And see, even that can be uh, a gateway to some kind of corruption. All right? You know, there are people that were angling out in Cal- uh, out in California, out in Chicago, to try and uh, take Barack Obama's seat. You remember that? Uh, there are apparently 18 possible replacements, only two more than the 16 who are running as Republicans for the presidential nomination. So uh, it is sad. The people of Philly, I'm sure, are sad. And by the way, did you know, hey, Jason, Scott Walker shows up in Philly, right? He goes to the two most famous steakhouses, uh, cheesesteak joints, Geno's and Pat's, and he orders, which apparently is a grievous sin, he orders a cheesesteak with American cheese and no onions. And then he left half of it sitting at a table. He didn't even empty his own trash. I mean, uh, he's finished. He's done. <laughs> he's over. And speaking of being finished, done, and over, <laughs> I guess that's what it means for me. <laughs> Listen, I have had a ball, as I always do hosting this program here on the Progressive Radio Network. My thanks to all the good people. Thanks to Jason Taubenfeld. We will be back next Wednesday, 6 p.m. God willing, in the creek don't rise. My name is Mark Riley for the Mark Riley Show. Have yourselves a great rest of the evening, and stay out the heat and have a better week ahead.